Welcome to The Open Word, the online teaching ministry of Pastor David Landry on today's episode. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. Forgiveness comes directly through faith in Christ and in Christ alone without jumping over any kind of religious or preconceived barricades that man puts up. See, we all too often, we want to cleanse the outside before we accept a cleansing on the inside. We want people to look like us. We want people to act like us. We want people to talk like us, and then maybe then they can receive the forgiveness of Christ. But you know what? That's not the way that Christ works. Don't make the mistake of thinking that you need anything other than Jesus to be right with God. Today, Pastor David teaches you that by asking Jesus to be your Savior, your sins are washed away, and you're welcomed into His kingdom. Nothing more is required of you. You don't have to prepare or change your ways. You simply have to acknowledge Jesus and His Word as truth. Don't hesitate on Jesus. Don't procrastinate bringing Him into your life. Simply pray for Him to enter your heart right now. Now here's Pastor David in the book of Acts chapter 12 as he continues his message, A Divine Appointment. God loved Peter so much, he wanted to give him a chance to succeed in life and in ministry. And so God continued to give Peter these gentle reminders to submit and trust the Holy Spirit. And beloved, he does the same thing for you and I. Otherwise, the first time we blow it, we'd, we'd be put on the shelf and never used or called again. And I look at my life and I think there's multiple, multiple times that if I were God, I would have put me on the shelf. But God continues to work. God continues to teach. God continues to call us to himself and pour into us his desire and his plan. It's no wonder that later Peter continues to mature in his faith and his, his, his obedience to that wooing of the Holy Spirit in his life. And in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, he writes about the fact that it's God's abundant mercy which has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away. It's reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God. Kept by the power of God. Continue to let that soak into your head. We are kept by the power of God. Not because we're always doing everything so well, because, beloved, we don't. We blow it continually. And if it was not for the power of God, that abundant mercy that he works and moves in us, none of us would have any hope. He says you are kept by the power of God through faith, for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. 
Peter finally grows to that understanding that it's not his plans. Peter knew that it wasn't his power. It was and always will be the power of God through faith. Now here he's on Simon the Tanner's roof. Uh, He's still wondering what that lesson was that God was trying to teach him. The men from the home of Cornelius the centurion now are at the front gate down in verse 18. It says, and they called, asked Brother Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. Verse 19, while Peter thought about the vision, the spirit said to him, behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Doubting nothing. If you write in your Bible, and I encourage you to, uh, just circle, underline, highlight, doubting nothing. And if you don't write in your Bible, you know the drill. Write it in the person's next to you. Write it in their Bible, okay? Circle there. Even before the word came from from downstairs, from the people of Simon the Tanner's house, the Holy Spirit was already speaking to Peter about these three men that are are waiting for him. God was working uh, in and, and through all of these things to make his will and his plan known, both to Peter as well as to these three men from Cornelius' house. And the Holy Spirit clearly told Peter, arise therefore, go down, go with them, doubting nothing, doubting nothing. Funny, when we look at the the, the accounts not only here uh, on in through Acts, but now as we go on uh, even in the other writings that we see in our New Testament, we don't see Peter doubting or arguing with God ever again. This is like his last time. This seems like, okay, here's the graduation ceremony right here, Peter. This is when you finally get it. It would appear that maybe, just maybe, God was finally getting through this thick-headed fisherman's brain, okay, and into his heart. Verse 21, Peter went down to the man who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, yes, I'm he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. And then he had invited them in and lodged them. And on the next day, Peter went away with them and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him also. When God told Peter, Arise, go down, go with them, doubting nothing. That whole emphasis you need to understand on doubting nothing is going to be literally the hallmark of God's next great miracle work. These men were probably still standing outside the gate of Simon the Tanner's house. Although Simon the Tanner had the job, or he was a Jew, but he had the job as a tanner, and as a Jew, that would make him continually unclean. So he had to continually, uh, repetitively go through the ceremony, the ritual ceremony of, of, of cleansing himself because of his occupation. But now, standing outside his gate are Gentiles, and, uh, two Gentile house servants, as well as one Gentile Roman soldier, and he hasn't invited them in yet. Now Peter goes down, he comes downstairs, he hears their story, these two Gentile servants, 
this Gentile Roman soldier, doubting nothing of what the Lord had told him. He understood fully, and even as these men began to tell him, Cornelius the centurion is a just man, and he fears God. He's a Gentile, he's a Roman soldier, but yet he is a just man, and you need to connect with this church. He is one who fears God, doubting nothing. God told Peter, I've sent them. We find out this common Gentile, this despised Roman soldier is devoted to God. And I believe that suddenly in Peter's brain it started to click. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. On top of that, an angel of the Lord had spoken to him, to Cornelius. He was divinely instructed by a holy angel to come and get you, Peter, and for you to come with us to Caesarea, to Cornelius' house. I think at this point that Peter is probably lost for words. Suddenly that, that vision of the sheet and all these creepy little bugs crawling all around, suddenly it begins to make sense to him. That message of God was coming clear as he stood before these men and he heard their story and how could he doubt at that point? He might not have understood everything at that point, but I believe that the Holy Spirit was, again, giving him assurance that he wasn't the one that was in control, but that God was. Guys, there's stuff that happened within our lives on a regular basis that we may not have a clue what the answer is or the reason behind it. But God has called for us to trust him, doubting nothing. Lord, I don't like this situation. This situation is not a good situation. This situation makes no sense. The end run of this thing, as far as I can see, man, it's, it's a dead end. But God says, no, you trust me. You doubt nothing. You keep trusting me even in the midst, yeah, the midst of that storm, in the midst of that fear, in the midst of that doubt. You trust me, not your own logic. Because you see, God had a divine appointment for Peter. Peter simply needed to be found obedient. The word tells us in 23, then he, Peter, invited the Gentile man, that Roman soldier, in, and he lodged them. Can you imagine the conversation that night? This is probably the closest Peter had been with Gentiles probably ever in his life. I mean, a good Jew just doesn't hang around with Gentiles, okay? Because again, it would make them unclean. I think that that conversation, again, halfway questioning, halfway amazed at what God was doing and how God had been working in Cornelius' household, Peter's eyes getting opened <laughs> further and further, uh, uh, again, to that, that, the, the powerful way of what's going on and the changes that are about to happen, changes that are going to move Peter, change Peter's life dramatically, but gang, it's also going to change the church because we're going to see in just a couple of chapters in Acts that this whole deal of Gentiles coming to Christ outside of coming through Judaism, it destroys the box that they have got in. It, it blows them away. They cannot imagine. And it says that the next day, Peter went away with them and some brethren from Joppa 
accompanied him. Now we're going to, as far as the, the scripture portion, we're going to stop right there. But there is some things that I, I, I want to touch base with you on this morning. Next week we'll continue on with this chapter and, and move forward from here. But before we close, there's a couple of takeaways I want you to have this morning. I want you to pay really good attention to this. Not that you haven't already, but you need to understand Cornelius He was a man of faith. He was a praying man. He was a man of good reputation, a good man. He was a generous man. But church, you need to understand, even with all of that in his favor, Cornelius was still a lost man. So you say, well, how could that be? Why is God calling Peter to come and explain to him the fullness of the gospel? Because in all the goodness of Cornelius... He was still outside of faith and understanding of the redemptive work of Christ. It would not have been sufficient for Cornelius on that day of judgment to to simply stand and speak of all of his good merits. Cornelius could have stood before God and said, oh, but I, but I was very generous with, with, with my money. I, I, I wasn't someone who just held on to everything. I was, I was a good man. I was, I was good even to the Jews. Oh, and I was devoted. I prayed on a regular basis. You see, Cornelius, in the midst of all of that, he was a man who was ready for and needed yet to hear the gospel. And beloved, how absolutely ignorant we are of the scriptures when we say or when we think or perceive that a man full of devotion, a man full of generosity, a man who's good to his fellow man is a man who already has salvation and eternal life. God's word will not allow us to have that wrong doctrine. You probably know many good people. Perhaps you're here today. You're a good person. You love God. You're generous in your life. You treat people fairly. But you've never really had an encounter with Jesus Christ. Not to the point of recognizing that you are, even in the midst of all of your goodness, you're still a sinner who needs to be saved. You still need your sin forgiven by the grace and the mercy of God. You need to recognize the completed work of Christ on the cross and receive that to yourself. You don't understand that. But beloved, you need to understand that within the word of God, we see time and again where good men are still required to have faith in Christ. Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a really religious dude. I mean, he was a Pharisee. He was a teacher of the law. John tells us, He was a good man, and he came to Jesus, and what did Jesus tell him? Jesus, or he said, Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you'll never see the kingdom of heaven. In all of your goodness, in all of your personal righteousness, in all of your devotion, in all of your prayer life, Nicodemus, there has to be an internal change. There has to be an internal encounter with the reality and the truth of the sacrificed Christ. What about that rich young ruler? He came to Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus told him, well, keep the commandments. He said, oh, all those things I've done since my youth. And Jesus says, well, you've got eternal life then. You've earned it yourself. No, that's not what he said, is it? 
He says, you still lack a few things. Go and sell all that you have and come and follow me. You see, that idea, that understanding of coming and follow, surrendering everything, giving away my life, what Jesus calls in other places, dying daily, taking up our cross and dying in order that he might live through us. And Jesus says, come and follow me. But that rich young ruler walked away sorrowful because he had many riches. You see, there were things on this world that he cared for more than he cared for eternity. And Jesus didn't go after him and say, hey, I've got plan B. If you didn't like plan A, I've still got plan B. No, Jesus let him walk away. And what about that guy we studied here just recently? Saul of Tarsus, again, a Pharisee of the Pharisee, a keeper of the law. One who was very devoted. Now we look at Saul as being just a wretched terrorist guy. Well, he was to the Christians, but you need to understand for himself, he was devoted to God. He was going for the cause of God. <laughs> he was moving toward the cause of God in his own heart and mind. And yet what happened? He had to have an encounter with the crucified, risen Savior. And it's only at that point that real and true eternal life came to Saul of Tarsus. We do men, we do ourselves literally eternal damage when we let the world or we let ourselves be satisfied with a piety that does not include faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ as the only and full sacrifice for our sin. Cornelius was a good man, but Cornelius was a lost man because he was outside of Christ. Secondly, Peter himself. Peter had to get over himself. Peter had to get over a, a prejudice that was much more than religious law. We're going to find out again, as I said, that the church itself had, had already put boundaries on who can and who cannot be saved. You see, you can't be saved until you become like me first. Then you can be saved. That's what the church was saying at the beginning. You've got to become a Jew first. You've got to meet my requirements before you can meet God's requirements. Now, God's forgiveness comes directly through faith in Christ and in Christ alone without jumping over any kind of religious or preconceived barricades that man puts up. You see, we all too often, we want to cleanse the outside before we accept a cleansing on the inside. We want people to look like us. We want people to act like us. We want people to talk like us. And then maybe then they can receive the forgiveness of Christ. But you know what? That's not the way that Christ works. If he can go to a man named Legion filled with demons, and man, he had this deal, he's cutting himself, there's all kinds of weirdness and strangeness, and Christ comes to him in particular. He says, guys, get in the boat. I've got a divine appointment across the lake at this demon's cave. You see, God doesn't put the barricades that you and I do. And God's going to move in a way that Peter was not familiar with, in a way that he wasn't comfortable with at all. But I want to close with a couple of questions for every one of us. 
I want you to think about it for a moment. It's very seriously in, in, in this time in the service. Do you personally have any built-in prejudices? Prejudices maybe that, 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 that linger from the past, maybe from family history, maybe from unfortunate cultural encounters. And again, you, you brought a, a limit, you brought a, a barricade, you've, you've placed up walls of whom God can love and whom God would never love. You know what? Christ broke down all the walls. And again, as I've said, I believe a couple of times over the last several weeks, the ground at the cross is level. No one stands above or below another. We all come to the foot of the cross on equal grounds. Do you fully believe that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all sin for all who come to him in faith? See, there's many times the church even today still say, no, yeah, but he would never forgive a terrorist. He would never forgive a murderer. He forgave Saul of Tarsus, didn't he? You see, God sometimes moves in ways that, man, we don't understand. It's outside of our logic, but God can and does and will move in those ways. Do you personally fully understand that the love of God extends to every tribe, to every nation, to every tongue? Because that's the way God's love is. God loved the world and all of those that he creates? Or are you one that still limits the love and the forgiveness of God, not realizing that God calls all men everywhere to repentance? I want to read to you from Warren Wearsby just a quick word, and I know that I quote from him a lot, but he agrees with me a lot, so. <laughs> Wearsby writes, Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And as such, he will find that seeking sinner. And that's who Cornelius was. Cornelius was a seeking sinner. Wiersbe goes on to say, wherever there is a searching heart, God responds. How about you today? Are you trying to make it on your own? Do you think that you've got it because you've been a good person? Outside of Christ, you don't got it. Bad English, but good theology. Okay. Wiersbe says, this is why it's essential that we, as God's children, obey his will and share his word. You never know when your witness for Christ is exactly what somebody has been waiting and praying for. How you live your life makes a difference you put barriers that God has never put on, then you are limiting the grace and the mercy of God. If you try to make it on your own abilities, on your own logic, you are shutting off for you or yourself the gift of grace that God offers to all who call upon his name. Changes from within by the open word. 
Thank you for joining us today on The Open Word. Acts is such an interesting book about the early church and how people engaged with their newfound faith and then spread that good news to their region and the entire world. If you're new to the Bible and are unsure what this newfound faith is, you can learn more about a man named Jesus who came to save you. He came as the Son of God to save you from your sins. These early disciples in the book of Acts were elated to share with everyone what Jesus had done for each of them. They wanted others to know that kind of love too. If you want to understand this more fully, we'd like you to know that here at The Open Word, we're here for you and we're praying for you. If you have some questions, please give us a call at 520-836-9676. We'd also like to encourage you to find a church and begin attending regularly. If you live in Casa Grande, we'd love for you to come visit us. The Open Word is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande, and we meet every Saturday at 6.30 p.m. and Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. You're welcome to join us for a time of worship and Bible study and a time to get to know other believers and find support. Find out more when you call us. Again, that number is 520-836-9676. You can also find out more about The Open Word and listen to additional messages by visiting theopenword.com. That's all for today. Thanks for tuning in to The Open Word.